everyone, Marilyn Hughes of the Out of Body Travel Foundation. I'm here with John Hickton and Philippe Seguet, uh, writers of The Man in the Cave. And this is part two of our discussion. And we're going to take on some of John's questions about out of body travel in just a couple minutes. But before we do that, we're going to take on yours. So I'm going to answer a few of the questions you guys have been sending to me. And we'll start here with this one. Um, here we have, uh, good evening, Marilyn. I just wanted to thank you for helping me clear my mind during our recent emails. I've been very ill with pneumonia for the past week, three weeks, and through it, the Lord has taken me on quite a spiritual journey. I've had so much time at home to go deeper in prayer than I ever have. I've been able to, quote, pray without ceasing, as Our Lady has called us to do. I listen to Gregorian chant throughout the day and pray the rosary and the chaplet of the precious blood. The peace I now have is surreal. I can now see how I was so laser focused on my past and all the trauma I've been through that I wasn't able to take a long, hard look at that until you brought it to my attention and helped bring me back to reality. So thank you for that. And I just like to point out about that, um, that that kind of really touches on what John was talking about in part one, about how we have to go through the things, the fears that we hold on to, the, the, the attachments, you know, taking that a little further, even just the attachments to our own past in this life, in others, as you know, is revealed to us then through out-of-body travel. And so this is an excellent um, description of someone who's realizing that processing through those fears and those attachments has really cleared the way for this person. So I do have one question, if you don't mind me asking, or perhaps you could refer to me uh, where in your online information I can find the answer, but we're going to take it on. So I felt jittery as I've gone deeper into prayer over the past few days, especially. I know the medication I'm on can do that, steroids, antibiotics, and a nebulizer machine. I also take medication for depression and anxiety, but this does feel different. I'm just wondering if this is how it can feel when we're entering into a higher vibration. I wanna make sure I'm remaining sane and not imagining things. <laughs> the question everyone has, right? It's a very peculiar feeling and underlying nervousness while being fully at peace. Does that make any sense to you? I'm just trying to test the spirits and make sure it's not just my anxiety getting the best of me or something evil, but this feels different from anxiety. It's hard to explain. Anyway, I truly appreciate your thoughts and will continue to follow your work online. I hope to go deeper into some spiritual direction with you in the future. You've already helped me so much and I am deeply grateful. You're always in my prayers. Have a blessed night. Thank you so much. I always appreciate prayers from anybody who's willing to offer them. So thank you so much for that. And um, what I wanted to say about this um, uh, is an important question and one that I can really answer well because I also have asthma and have used some of these medications. And I think it's important to delineate between vibrational raising and medical or medicinal side effects. And so I, I basically, I'm not sure from what you are describing, um, it does sound a lot like the reaction that you can have to steroids and nebulizer treatments, however. And, um, you know, because I have to go through those two, and then when I get uh, unusually sick and have to go through kind of what you did with your pneumonia, these medications will give you jittery and nervous sensations. And I wouldn't necessarily usually attribute that to the vibrational state because jittery and nervousness are not something 
that is usually associated with it. It's a very different experience. But you do mention wondering if this could indicate moving into a higher vibration. And we do feel changes in the energy fields as we do these things. And the use, but the use of the adjectives nervous and jittery don't really coincide with um, what I would attribute to that phenomenon. So it could be a combination of both because even just this, the necessity of being sick and going through that process can be, just as you described in the earlier part of your email, it can be a, a, a purific purification type of process. And you could be going to a higher vibration because you've let go of a lot of these past traumas, attachments, and fears. But I don't think that the jittery and nervous sensations are likely related to the vibrational state. I think it's more likely related to the steroids and the nebulizer. And so, um, but I don't think this is anything evil. You mentioned a concern about that. It's more likely physical. So don't rule out spiritual movement because I think that is occurring. You described it well in the first part of your email, but I don't necessarily think that these sensations are likely the vibrational state. When you hit the vibrational state, you're going to have a sensation that is undeniably real and when people have the vibrational state, they usually don't even have to ask if they've had it because it's just that profoundly intense. It's that life changing and altering and so powerful. It's very clearly a vibrational state. Your whole system feels like your body is shaking like a massive earthquake. You usually hear the sounds of the jet engines, the planes, uh, what, what sounds like that, but it's actually the sound of the higher energy and vibration that you're now touching into. And so when that happens, I think you're going to know it. So uh, excellent question. I'm sure a lot of people have wondered this. So thank you for sending it. And let's uh, go ahead um, with this next question. So uh, dear Marilyn, thanks a lot for all that you do. I hope you are doing well. I have a question on the exact identity of Jesus Christ. I believe Jesus is the son of God and second person of the Trinity why do some gurus say Jesus was the most perfected human after several lifetimes of incarnations? Why is he called an ascended master? Who is the Jesus that a lot of mediums claim to channel like in Course in Miracles? Some even claim Jesus spent some time in India. With all really good questions, I'm probably going to give you a less than satisfactory answer, which is all these things can be true at the same time. <laughs> John seems to understand where I'm going here. Absolutely you know, lovely answer. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah. And so that's where people get confused is, you know, because again, as John was mentioning in part one, uh, how we get caught up in this physical, in the physical way of understanding things, we often have to compartmentalize these things so much. In reality, all of these things have a certain grain of truth to it. And in the vibrational spheres, when you experience out-of-body travel and you actually meet with Christ, you're going to see that he does actually have aspects of all of these things um, because Jesus is not one thing. He is all things. And this is ironically coming back to, and I'd like to get some of John's thoughts on this, uh, coming back to what John was talking about in part one, which is how in essence, we are all things. 
And this is how we waken. And so what are your thoughts there, Paul? Well, you, um, you, sleep, my apologies. Unfortunately, Marilyn, you just took the words straight out of my mouth because you said that Jesus is all things. And I was saying to myself, and we are, we are also all things. <laughs> uh, I, I believe back in the 70s or 80s, they slaughtered David Icke on the basis that he, they, they, the press said he was the, he professed to be uh, the son of God. Well, we are all sons of God. And that's what he said. He didn't say, I am the son of God. And of course, they manipulated his words and uh, and they slaughtered him. And um, the guy was a very uh, famous UK television presenter who came out having woken up and was so excited about his life. He wanted to tell everybody what he what he was, what he'd been told. And he's and fairly the, well known in the United States as well. Yeah. So, yeah, and, I'm and, familiar and, with David Icke. Yeah. And they destroyed the poor guy. Uh, but he didn't stop him, of course, because he doesn't stop people when they know. So, um, yeah, I mean, I wanted to say the same thing as you. Uh, it, it, we are we are all one and we are all connected. And ultimately, that is ultimately what Source is. Um, so... We are a part of source and we are source, which is God. So there is no discrepancy with, with that. It's very clear. But well, and one of the things I'd like to add too is, you know, when you're talking about, okay, so people have said that he was an ascended master. He spent some time in India. And so one of the things we also uh, don't take into consideration when we understand that people are touching into these mystical realities is that there are parallel worlds and there yeah. are alternative outcomes that do occur in other yeah. spheres. And, and so these experiences can all have occurred in parallel reality. And so yeah. when you look at the evidence that is presented for all of these theories, um, uh, you'll find that there's a lot backing up all of it. And how can that be so? Well, it can be so because of the fact that uh, things can be uh, multiplicitous. They, they are not always just one way. And especially when you're dealing with such a being as Jesus Christ, um, then you have an even bigger picture. You know, some of the stories uh, of Jesus being in India, there are different accounts, you know, so we know that uh, somebody was in India who claimed to be Jesus Christ. Some people wonder if it was Thomas, because the two of them were considered in the apocryphal gospels to be almost like twins. But, you know, in India, they actually have this beautiful shrine, uh, which is the tomb of St. Issa, who was the, the saint that went to India and they have footprints that were actually taken and made into these beautiful, they're just there, um, footprints of this person, Saint Issa. So was it Jesus Christ? Was it the uh, apostle Thomas? We don't know, you know? And then there are all these different locations too, all these different stories about where did they go after the crucifixion? Uh, there are really interesting uh, uh, trails that lead to places in England where the Blessed Virgin Mother may have ended up, but there's also trails that lead to India, and there's all kinds yeah, of yeah, you know yeah. really interesting possibilities 
And so, you know, we may never know in terms of in this one little time continuum, what exactly happened. But what we can know is that all of these things are likely to have occurred in various different parallel realities in yeah. some way, shape or form. And so there's a, a certain, in understanding this, it doesn't become so important that you understand how it all fits. One of the things I wrote about at the end of the Mysteries of the Redemption was how this understanding of Christ from like the Roman Catholic perspective, but also from the Gnostic perspective and from the Orthodox perspective came together in a beautiful mystical vision where it was that even though the physical word accounts, as John was talking about in part one, you know, the words that we use to describe these things may appear to contradict one another in the mystical spheres when it all comes together as energy, frequency, and vibration, there's no contradiction. No, no. And so it all comes together and, you know, it makes sense and they all work together. They're not, um, it's not one or the other. They are all part and parcel of that same mystery. Yeah. I have to hear what Philippe has to say. Yeah. <laughs> the answers are not important because, uh, as you said, the, the, the reality, there are multiple realities in the same time. Yes. So what is important is asking questions, not getting uh, answers, because right. there are many answers for the same question. Yes. Yes. That's a very good, a very good point to make. Absolutely. And so we're going to tackle another one, which is probably I'll probably handle this one. Um, but this is a really, uh, you know, a question in relation to exorcism, possession, and um, things like that. So I will go ahead and answer this one. Um, Hello, Marilyn. Thank you for your latest videos. I am learning and enjoying every single minute of them. Here is a question for your live. Uh, my thoughts are based on this scripture, Luke 4, 33 through 35. It says, quote, in the synagogue, there was a man possessed by a demon, an impure spirit. He cried out at the top of his voice, go away. What do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Be quiet, Jesus said sternly, come out of him. Then the demon threw the man down before them all and came out without injuring him. I'm yet to read all your other books on this subject. As time allows me, I am reading your books. So I'm jumping the gun here and asking you this question. Probably you already answered it in one of your books, but here it is. Since this scripture does not state that the man who was possessed was an evil person or did anything evil, I will not make this assumption. The only statement is that it was the Sabbath day and he was in the synagogue and he was possessed by an evil spirit. My question is, in your out-of-body travels, have you seen if a good person without doing anything evil can be possessed? Does a person have to do something evil to attract evil or can evil spirits possess good people without them doing anything bad to attract it? Thank you for your input. It helps me to understand the scriptures more in depth and I think of other aspects and pers perspectives. Thank you, God bless you. Very good question and I, felt like I needed to do a little bit of research to add to this answer. In my out-of-body travels, I have seen that, yes, good people can be possessed. 
It's a very, very uncommon occurrence, even in the annals of Catholicism and exorcism and the exorcists who uh, do this work, actual possession is very uncommon. The other levels, obsession and uh, uh, the, the other ones uh, that, go, that go along with having demonic associations are more common and they happen quite a bit. And some of that is related to when people have thoughts of an evil or a sin or a vice. And that allows the spirits of those uh, qualities to be given permission to be around them, just as our thoughts of virtue allow for the spirits of purity, the spirits of virtue to be near us. And that's the angels of light, the angels of darkness. So our thoughts do contribute to this. However, um, I did look into uh, our best our best source for this information, which is Father Gabriel Amorth, the Pope's exorcist who passed away recently. And he spoke about this question in particular in one of his recent books before his death. And he said that absolutely this can happen. And in fact, it often happens because when he's done exorcisms, he will ask the demon why this occurred. And uh, he had a situation of a young woman who was very good, very well known for being a, a, a very good person in the parish. And when he asked the demon why she was possessed, it was because she was the best in the, in the diocese. And so, so oftentimes evil will approach those who are have, have no attachment to it whatsoever. We see this in the case of the exorcism of Emily Rose, where she was uh, went off to college and was taken over initially by a succubus. And this happened as a sexual demon that assaulted her in a dorm room. And so this was related to the college that she went to. So these things can occur. But again, we wanna remind you, these are very rare instances. And of course, there are other aspects to the exorcism of Emily Rose that would be applicable, but we don't really have time to talk about it right now, about what happened in that case and why it occurred and what the Blessed Mother revealed about that. You can check that out if you don't already know. Check out the uh, end of the film where they talk about that, um, where the last letter left behind by Emily Rose, which was a visitation from the Blessed Mother uh, explaining the purpose of what had happened to her. It's very beautiful and very uh, amazing and very interesting. It gives us a lot of questions, probably more questions than answers, but sometimes that's what happens in the spirit world and that's okay. And so, yes, that can happen. For the most part, what we are going through in the purification process is purifying our own actions, thoughts, deeds, whatever, because that helps us to remove influences that are of a darker nature that are associated with our, our vices or whatever from the past, from this past and from past lifetimes. And, um, and those kinds of things do uh, create a purification around each and every one of us. So these situations where this occurs and what Father Gabriel Morth is talking about, these occur, but they are rare. And so hopefully that helps you with this question. And um, so we wanna go back now to um, what we were talking about 
earlier, which is John said he had a lot of questions about out-of-body travel. And so let's just dive right in and then answer those. <laughs> well, before I, be, I just want to comment on what you just said. Mary. Sure. Yeah. Uh, just very briefly. Um, and I'm not going to, I'm not going to comment on it in the way that, it, because I, if I was to give you my um, interpretation is the right word to use of what you've just said, it would be completely different, but it would be exactly the same thing. And that's, and I think that's because of the communication that we get in the cave is simplistic and it, it but the actual end result is the same thing so I would not have explained that in it, it, to some people they wouldn't have been able to understand my explanatory if they compared it with yours I think you get it completely and and I got what you were saying but it, it's a completely different process that we endure in there and it's based on language again and it's based on emotion and frequency and it's not based on words so it, you know my, so I just wanted to say that because it was very interesting what you just said and I found it very very interesting but anyway let's go to out of body so we're frequently told in out of body uh, we're frequently told in the cave that the only way we will ever truly uh, understand, uh, we're told everything happens in one moment. There is no past, present and future. And I suppose you can go into the realms of quantum physics to understand dimensions and things like that, um, uh, which, is, which isn't highly complex. Uh, and these things are being studied at the moment by the scientific world. So we're told everything happens in one moment and we're told there's no actual such thing as time because we create time to help us through our conditioned lives and help us to create a, a point where we get we where, where we get to where we're pretty much at now asking lots of questions to understand god and consciousness yes but my question to you is we're repeatedly told that we the only the only uh, place we will understand the metaphysical is in an out of body experience now from one of the uh, the, the, the viewers that you had before was asking you a, a question uh, and they were finding it all very complicated on the basis that I think it's complicated in the conditioned world. And if you try and put one foot in and one foot out, you can get very confused with metaphysical and, and physical at the same time, having all that information. So I wish to experience an out-of-body experience on the basis that I wish to understand time and I wish to understand one moment because they're the two things that I actually can't rationalize in a physical form with physical senses based on the information that we're receiving. So, and I sort of know this answer before I'm asking you the question, but what would be the best way for a complete novice when it comes to out of body to experience an out of body? Well, I think you've touched on a lot of things there. And one is timelessness, which is something that you do experience in out-of-body experiences, out-of-body travels. And um, one of the things that happens is you enter, there are regions that coincide with physical time. And then there are regions that are residing entirely in timelessness, which is, I think, what you are alluding to. And these spheres are very mysterious and very, uh, fluid and extremely uh, awesome, <laughs> you know. Um, 
Um, you know, one of the, I do have a film on the site, how to have an out-of-body experience. And we do have a, a series of nine books. It starts with Come to Wisdom's Door, how to have an out-of-body experience, which goes from the, the processes in the beginning through um, all these different types of mysteries as you will continue to open up into the initiations and the rites that occur when you do enter into timelessness, because there is that uh, factor. It, as you were saying that, I was thinking of this poem I was given. It was called The Death Song, The Timeless Moon Doth Ocean Sway Tide, Holding Tight to Beachhead Rain, Ne'er Be Near the Stillness of Time, Crossing to Regions of Lingering Plain. One of the things that, it's just the beginning of it, but it was given to me in timelessness about this very subject. And sometimes, you know, um, words can be helpful and sometimes words are more mysterious, you know, in terms of the subject matter. But definitely just going back to the basic grounded ideas of what works, meditation, you know, so that thing is something you guys have that you're doing. There's the prayer time and, and that's important as well. Because what we have is prayer is uh, talking to God, meditation is listening to God and hearing the answers to what you um, are asking. But then there's also that time spent in solitude that, you know, we, we want to try to stay away from the uh, all the media, all the noise, all those things. We want to be in silence. And so those are all three, the three pillars, you know, of the out-of-body experience. And then, of course, a lot of discipline and patience in awaiting its coming because it comes in its own time. And um, and it can come with a lot of different signs and come to wisdom's door, uh, lays out what those signs are and all the little subtleties that you'll see, like you'll start seeing, and you guys are having some of these things with the communication that you have. It'll be the thing, the seeing colors, becoming more aware uh, of presences around you. Um, you will start hearing the frequential shift, which um, a lot of people will start reporting where you can be just going about your life and all of a sudden you hear the frequency shift. Hmm. Have you heard that? Yes, a lot. Okay, a lot. so you understand that. And so mm -hmm. these are some of the things and signs that you'll see when you're coming closer to that experience. I would say like for someone like you, part of the difficulty may be um, that you are so brilliant scientifically and it may be harder for you to let go and just allow the spirit to come in and really because it is a, an experience which requires complete surrender to God. And so the spirit has to come in and it directs the experience. And if we try to direct it, if we want to control it, we block it. Right. <laughs> yeah. Hi, by the way. <laughs> yeah. So we block it because you know, and a lot of people will talk about this, which is, and I've talked about it in my books, but a lot of people have, also shared, I do this exact thing, Marilyn, what do I do about it? I got out of my body. I got really startled because I saw my deceased brother, my deceased mother, and zoom, I was right back in the body. And I said, that's exactly what happens and what you're going to have to work on. And this is where the discipline comes in is this ability to move through the vibration, the frequency, knowing that you're going to be surprised but having this subdued response so that the experience can continue. 
because the surprise, the fear, any of those things shoots you directly right back into the body. Straight back in your body. Yes, exactly. I did experience once in my life and the fear of uh, total loss of identity and not even knowing who or what I was, straight back in. There you go. And so you have a starting point with that, a really good starting point that you know now exactly what fear hit you at that moment, the fear yeah. of your loss of identity. And so I would definitely suggest that you put some prayer and meditation towards that of being feeling safe in dissolving into the substance of God, that there's nothing to fear in that, that actually it's a really fantastic experience that awaits you. Um, but now you know what that fear is. And a lot of people are afraid of that. They're afraid of uh, not being able to get back to their body. You know, just some simple grounded things. Will I die? You know, am I going to die? Well, the um, death scene has never bothered me. Not going back to my body is actually another. <laughs> I have had a, a couple of experiences. Uh, I one was definitely out of body. Uh, and I would absolutely love to. I would love to hear about those and talk about those. Would you guys like to come back for a part three here since we are at the end of our time limit on this one? Would, yes. would you like to, okay. All right. We'll come right back and we will hear about those experiences and we'll we'll dive deep into them. Thanks so much, John and Philippe. See you in a few minutes. Bye-bye.